0: Welcome everyone to GoWP Digital Agency Owner Podcast, where we chat with members of our WordPress community and uncover the secrets to their success. I'm Mariah Orija, GoWP's Director of Creative Services. And let me tell you about GoWP. We create happiness for digital agencies and we help them become more profitable. Whether it's joining in our weekly happiness hour calls, or if they want to grow their teams with a developer, copywriter, virtual assistants, We have the pros that they need. We also have services like case studies, website maintenance, page bills that you can completely outsource to our amazing team. So to find out more, go to gowp.com or our social media channels. Go WP support on Twitter and GoWP everywhere where else. Now let's welcome our guests. You probably heard me giggling before we started recording because I like this woman so much. Today we have Bet Hannon. Bet has worked with businesses and nonprofits for over 14 years, helping them build websites and learn how to use digital marketing tools more effectively. She is the founder and CEO of BH Business Websites, and she'll tell us about a new product today. At BH Business Websites, they design, build, and maintain accessible websites, including membership and e-commerce sites. Welcome, Beth. Yeah, you're great. <laughs> Thank you. Good to be with you. We always have a great time. I do, and I was not kidding. I, I was not kidding. You bring a smile to my face when I know Bet Hannon's going to be there. I'm like, I know I'm going to have a good time. Yes, Mariah. Let's talk about your background a little bit. Besides you, I know that you live in Bend, Oregon but you're not originally from Bend, Oregon. Where are you from originally?
1: Yeah, you were talking about being from the south. I grew up in South Texas, had family from north part of Texas and Oklahoma, but my family moved to Lincoln, Nebraska when I was 14. I lived on the side of San Antonio. It was very racially and ethnically diverse, military bases and all. And we moved to Nebraska where it was not so diverse. And I lived in Nebraska and went to college there. And then we lived for two years in New York city. My wife did grad school there. And then we lived in the Midwest for a little bit. And then most of our adult life we've lived in California until five years ago, six years ago, we looked at one another and said, Hey, you know, we've always said we wanted to move to Bend, Oregon. When we retire, we should just, why are we waiting? We should just do that now. And we did. So we lived here for five years.
0: Now, were you in Northern California and then just migrated? We had, no,
1: North? we were in Fresno.
0: Okay. And okay.
1: part of it was in the summertime in Fresno, you can get 30 or 40 triple digit days in a row. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I'm done with that. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> and so now we get to be here and we love to hike and camp yeah. and we snowshoe in the winter. And so it's just a great place for that. And, Lovely pine smell. If I go outside, am I, I get? I pine smell.:
0: I miss the pine smell. It's, that is so true. Mm. The pine smell that I grew up with in North Carolina. I don't get it in Chicago. <laughs> no. Um, and I can't think of a person, a single person, that I know who is from Oregon, who's actually from Oregon. So can you talk oh. about... Oh, go ahead.
1: It's very interesting when I live in Bend. Bend is on the east sides of the Cascade. So we're about 4 hours southeast of Portland, but we're on the other side of the mountains. And it used to be historically it was a sawmill town. Sawmills went out in the 80s, but it was a little town in the 80s. It was like maybe 20,000 people. Uh-huh. And in the last 10 to 15 years, we're now at 100,000 people. And so there's that growing pain Of it's not the little town that it used to be, but you still get some of the same small town kind of things. Like even now, you'll be in the grocery store line and people will, you'll just strike up conversations with people, right? So people will say, Oh, I've never tried that beer before. Do you like it? And, or, Oh, it looks like you're having a big barbecue or whatever. And (laughs) just strike up conversations because it feels like, it's a small town feel, uh-huh. but it's, it's got some growing pace too, but I love Bend. It's just great for, because it's a tourist town now, then we get, for a town of a hundred thousand people, we have amazing restaurants, just yeah. some lo- lovely downtown for shopping and doing some stuff. You were going to come visit me and you never do. I did. do. I know. I,
0: I really want to come out there. And now that the pandemic's over, we can travel freely. More or less. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say, I'm traveling as, as a, up in the air, so to speak with the airlines. Now, so they've really adopted you as one of their own. It's not a, she's a newbie.
1: Everybody's a newbie. That's the thing. You'll go around and as you meet people at a networking event or something, you say, are you from Ben? That's the question. Are you from Ben? And nine times, 24 times out of 25, somebody will say, no, I'm from wherever, someplace else. Mm -hmm. When you meet a native, it's, ooh, (laughs) even somebody that's been here 20 years, that's a long time. Now, now,
0: do you want to briefly address the culture. I spoke just yesterday with Travis Buck of Northwest Media Collective. yeah, And he was talking about the Pacific Northwest culture, the uber laid back culture for better and for worse. Is that true? So for our listeners, he is in uh, Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, he's in Washington. And he had a 20 something team member that he hired who was from Boston. And I don't know the time frame, but this guy couldn't hack it, the Pacific I think Northwest. it's and-
1: hard to fit into Pacific Northwest culture. I think it's very laid back. One of the things I love about it is that the dress code is so relaxed. It's like, <laughs> I grew up in the South and girls were like, you had to dress up. And even, even like when all through high school, like you have to wear, there's certain, you couldn't wear jeans to church or you couldn't wear, you were supposed to dress up, professional for work. And I love that I can wear my technical hiking shorts or my trail Uh shoes to the business (laughs) meeting and nobody, and I'm not the only one that's doing that. And it's pretty relaxed and laid back for the most part. And in terms of the dress code, but then that's kind of part of the attitude too. It's just a little more laid back and relaxed. Like you just came off the trail.
0: It's warm and inviting. And I hope to experience that soon. What people associate you with mostly in your well-known for being an advocate for accessibility. When many people think about accessibility, they think about how it relates to someone who accessible places and resources. They think of ADA regulations and parking spaces, but it's much greater than this. It's much more technical than that. Can you like once and for all define for anyone who's listening uh, to this podcast, what is accessibility and why it shouldn't be an afterthought for agency owners who are building their websites?
1: Things can get a whole lot more technical than this, but I run into this question a lot. Like when I go to my networking events here in town, right? And I'll say, I work with web accessibility and you can just see like people are like, if they even associate accessibility with disabilities at all, they're just still confused. So I explained, well, people who are, for instance, blind might use a tool called a screen reader and it will read out loud, not just the text that's on the site, but it'll read the descriptions of the pictures or the labels on the forms. Or There's all kinds of things in the code of the website that'll help their reader help them navigate through the website. Mm-hmm. Or if a person is mobility impaired, they can't use a mouse with their hands. Mm-hmm. They might use all kinds of customized devices. Stephen Hawking had a cheek sensor on his cheek, and people who have head movement, they've been paralyzed on the neck down, but have head movement, might use a a stick with their, and all of those customized devices come back to keyboard navigation. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever done control X or control V on your keyboard, there are like a bajillion more things you can do with keyboard navigation. And Mm -hmm. those devices all come back to some of that. And so those are just two examples, but accessibility for Those are the two that I think people think of most, but accessibility goes much broader than that. It goes to things like people who are colorblind. Like if you're using colors to indicate a success or failure and only color, then you've Mm -hmm. got a problem here. If your links only are indicated by color and nothing else, that's a problem for people with colorblindness, maybe. And even beyond uh, people with reading disabilities, things like that, if you make your text Full justified, like on both sides, that's even on both sides, Mm -hmm. it creates what are called rivers of white through the middle. Mm -hmm. For people who have reading disabilities, that's very difficult. Mm -hmm. We even get into thinking about if somebody has anxiety or depression, they Mm -hmm. may give up quickly on mm-hmm. a process so if you've made it hard to know and hard to know where you are in the process or mm. g- if something is completed or if people are moving through it correctly or not so those kinds of things you, so it can get pretty broad and i think in many ways there's no such thing as a 100 percent accessible website but and so you really want to think about it's not about perfection it's mm-hmm. about progress and including more people and so For agency owners, it's super important to start at the beginning of projects with that, because if you only tack accessibility on at the end, it's that's the least cost-effective way to do it right Mm -hmm. so if you start for example at the beginning and you've got the graphic designers and they've made a mock-up and the clients approved it and you've done the build out and you're at the very end doing an accessibility check and you realize you don't have color contrast right now you've got to go back to the client they've got to approve the color changes now you've got Mm to re-implement the color changes as you can see those things they really add up and so if you start at the beginning with even the graphic designers as they're putting things together knowing they need to do that in an accessible way it's much more cost effective mm-hmm. but we often talk to to agency owners about how they can sell accessibility they mm-hmm. a lot of times agency owners know that accessibility is the right thing to do. And that's Mm -hmm. the bottom line. It's just whether you call it karma or whatever, it's just the right thing to do to include people who are there. But we know that somewhere between 20 and 25% of all adults in the US and Europe and uh, developed nations all over the world have a level of disability that requires some kind of accommodations. And so that was the big eye opener for me was Mm -hmm. I had an error assumed that we were talking about a really tiny number of people with disabilities because I only saw a small number of people in my life with disabilities. But there are a lot of disabilities that are invisible. Do you know everybody in your life that's colorblind? Probably not. Or right. 20 to 25% is a pretty large number. And mm-hmm. so if you can, as a site owner, make your website usable by 25% more people, that's huge, right? You mm-hmm. might pay a ton of money for somebody to do SEO to get a 5% increase, it's huge. And so you're making your site available to more people. You're improving the SEO. It's a better user experience for everybody. And it's a great investment in your brand too, to just be more
0: inclusive in that way. I think so. Absolutely. um, So there's a
1: lot of ways to sell it. I
0: think for agency owners. Why do you think, I think you've already laid out that it's, it's a much larger discussion than the visible disabilities. And so many people, it's not that they have bad intentions, but they're a little intimidated by this conversation. Is that what you often see from other agency owners? They're like, I should be, doing more on the sites? I think part of it is it's hard because it can be so amorphous, can be so
1: context-driven, so it's really hard to know. So for instance, one of the accessibility guidelines is that you need alt text, which is the description of the image on every image, except for some images that are purely decorative. If you have a spacer between sections, that's just Mm -hmm. a decorative image. And it's hard to know even then, once you do the alt text, like what makes it good alt text. And it's just that it can feel vague, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like learning any new skill, it's just hard, you wanna resist it if there are so many times where you might be wrong, right? I think the fear of being wrong, right? And so not doing it right. And again, progress, not perfection, right? Start small, do it. There's some low hanging fruit. We know that if people do alt text, get their heading structures right, and the H1 is the title and only one of those on a page and H2, H3, properly nested. If you just do those two things, that's about 80% of all accessibility issues. You can start and grow from there.
0: Progress, not perfection.
1: And I think web accessibility will really be in the coming years, like mobile responsive was a few years back, right? Today, no web development agency is going to, that self-respecting ones anyway, is going to build a, a website that doesn't have mobile responsive included in it. Mm-hmm. And in another five years, ten, I don't know how long it'll take, but I do know that at some point it will be enough of a just what we do thing that Mm -hmm. everybody will be doing it. And it's whether you get on that train early or whether you're behind the curve. And
0: there's a, tell me a little bit about what Excess-A-Cart is because Uh -uh. that's a really bumpy segue, but I think that you're such a great guide for working with agency owners to holding their hand and making them not afraid to have this conversation.
1: I hope so. So AccessiCart is our new branded service around accessibility and e-commerce and and what we offer is the audits like we've always been doing but what we realized at a certain point was that we would do an audit we make sure we do human testing as well as some automated testing that's a part of that we identify the problems that are on this website we have a meeting with the client and then we meet with the client to try and explain those problems to them and their developers they have questions about them, demo the issues if they need mm-hmm. to. But what we realized as we were doing that, we don't know in that process as we had been doing it, we don't know enough about their business. And it's e-commerce or whether it was another business. We don't know enough about their business to know to have the context for making good recommendations to them about what needs to get fixed for what's the priority here. What's the most important, what will be the most impactful for this site versus that site could be different depending on their client base, their users, what their users are trying to do on the website. So that was one piece was realizing we need to pair doing the audit and giving the information, but pair that with some business consulting to help them understand what's the important piece to pay attention to first and guide them through that. And even whether we provide some of that implementation or whether it's their in-house people or whether we help them find people and we can work. The audit and that business consulting can happen on any platform, right? If they're on Shopify or Commerce or some other platform, because the audit's all front facing. Mm -hmm. Right. And then if, but if it's WooCommerce and we know it, then, you know, we can be that implementer or we can send them back to their own agencies for implementation. But it's bringing those two pieces together about managing that, having some partners we can refer to for those other platforms. The bigger conversation that might be interesting to most agency owners is thinking through niching down on niching down because it was five years ago that we really started doing a lot more with accessibility and that represented a niche for us. And so we're thinking about, we're doing more with accessibility and we began to work with more and more clients around accessibility. But we began to see that as we looked around at our competitive landscape and as we see other agencies that work on accessibility, they tend to have a lot of clients in two verticals, and those are higher education and government. In the U.S. anyway, in our context here in the U.S., those two niches have mandated accessibility and they have money to do it and funding to do it. Those are important things. But the friction points for us were they often have a kind of RFP process, where they'll put out a request for a proposal. Mm -hmm. You do a ton of work, gathering information, putting together a proposal, but they've gotten 20 proposals. So it's a lot of work. And that we were not on the winning end of a lot of those because we're an intentionally small agency, right? Right. We are three of us full-time, half a dozen or more contractors, other experts around the edges as -hmm. needed, but it's not a sort of, deep bench that those bigger institutional folks are looking for so talking some of that through and then realizing that in the us we have all these lawsuits around web accessibility last year 74 percent of the lawsuits around website accessibility were for e-commerce sites and there are not very many people that Mm -hmm. are focused exclusively on e-commerce and accessibility, and so we saw an opportunity there to specialize, we can bring our experience, but also to maybe make a bigger impact. And of course, as we're working with site owners who own these online shops, we're working for them. We want to help them maximize their shop, make a bigger profit. But the really great thing is alongside of that, we get to make online shopping better for people with disabilities. It's a win-win-win all around.
0: Yeah. See, this is why, this is what Cloudways saw in you. (laughs) For anyone that doesn't know, this year, Bet was recognized for being one of the most, I think one of 11 of the most influential women leading a successful agency. And this is why, like identifying how to niche down effectively and how to do that was one of the reasons. So congratulations on that. You mentioned your small team that you work with. How many of your team members are women? There are three
1: of us full-time and Mm -hmm. all the full-time are women. And then I would say it's a bigger mix in the contractors around the edges. So yeah.
0: That's what I I thought. But, and you recently said, I've read somewhere that you said about about your team members. One of them, I don't know who it was, was able to buy a home. And for you as a business owner, that was a proud moment for you. And that says a lot about your philosophy um, as an owner. What other milestones and achievements. Can you point out as a business owner or of your entire team?
1: Yeah, I just think, I don't know, no big milestones or achievements are coming together, but small things and just really focusing on growing people, growing our skills, growing, I mean, growing the agency, but just being more like optimizing it, right? Yeah. And getting better. And I don't know, maybe three or four years ago, I took, there was the strengths finder thing. Do you know that one? No. And it's a thing, it came out of, and I can't remember, it's the big name survey group that, that doesn't know, but it's, it's like a personality thing for more business. And it identified my superpower was being the optimizer. Like I'm yeah. always looking for ways to make things better. And more efficient, more cost-effective, more, just less time, which is all great until you're optimizing your spouse cooking dinner. That's the problem, (laughs) right? But you got to turn it off sometimes. But, (laughs) But I think part of that feeling like you're optimizing with the agency, that's things like Balancing out findings, getting some standard operating procedures set, but then always be looking at improving them. But thinking about your people that way too. Investing in their education and their Mm -hmm. opportunities to do new things. And it's as varied as they are. It's really listening to them as individuals and encouraging them. In the last couple of years, we have someone on our team who's my perception is pretty strong introvert. And I think she would identify as a pretty strong introvert too. And in the last couple of years, after a little nudge, she started doing presentations for meetups and word camps and other stuff. And that's been awesome. It's given her a chance to encounter and meet people outside that she wouldn't have necessarily connected with otherwise. And that's great for her, but it's also great for the agency because she gets to bring back all of that to the agency too.
0: And I I hope it's okay. I haven't asked her permission to share this, but I know that Natasha who works on your team has commented before how she feels empowered by being on your team. And I think that it takes a very self-confident business owner to invest that confidence that others feel uplifted and contribute more, even going beyond maybe their comfort zone, like you just mentioned, the introvert oh, yeah. on your team. Yeah. Usually
1: you you'll have to talk to another this week because we've been like bumping up the game on, we're teaching you to do this. And now we're throwing this giant stack of work at you to do that. <laughs> so some of it, I'm so glad not to have to do that stuff anymore, right? I'll go back and I'll teach you how to do it. And then I can walk away and do uh, other things that the agency needs me to do. But yeah, I really do, do enjoy that. I love teaching some, but it's it's cool to come together and just build people up.
0: Yeah, it's very evident. On your LinkedIn profile, there is a term that I was not familiar with, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. The Coralus Activator. Coralus Activator. Yeah. Tell me about this and what that has to do with networking and strategic yeah. partnering and things like that.
1: Yeah, we've already talked about it. I live in Bend. And one of the interesting things about Bend is that it is a hub of entrepreneurial activity. Yeah. And there are startup generators here, there's a ton of tech startup stuff happening and there is a ton, some venture funding stuff going on. And so it's actually the home of one of the largest venture funding conferences west of the Rockies, the Band Venture Conference, happens in the fall. And I just had discovered that I love hanging around with these entrepreneurs and the people who are involved in that piece. There's just something about that spirit. And part of it is there's that spirit of optimizing, right? Because they're all about, trying to start a new thing but you're like have you thought about this angle have you thought about doing this other thing or tell me about how you plan to deal with this challenge and they're just so open to talking about that that stuff and we worked with a few startups along the ways it, it was a lot of fun but what i really started noticing is that there were not as many women startup founders. And so I was pondering that women startup founders get less than 2% of the venture capital investments that are out there. And so I started looking around for where am I going to find women startups? And I stumbled across this organization. They just in the last few months have renamed themselves Coralis, but the old name used to be Sheeo. And it's an organization that is centered around, first of all, the UN sustainability goals. So the UN has these sustainability goals that pretty much everybody would agree are a good thing, right? Improving literacy, improving healthcare, improving housing, reducing the income inequality, dealing with gender and racism inequalities, native lands pieces, right? A ton of stuff around that and so what this organization does is activators and that's the role that I have activators pay monthly and those dues go into a fund that gets distributed to a select group of venture women and non-binary folk who are venture startup have a startup and it's as a loan so the money comes back and it just keeps cycling and growing and the organization is particularly strong in Canada where it was originally founded in the U.S really strong in Australia and New Zealand, a fledgling group in the UK. But it is a place where you can go and meet women working in business and all kinds of services pieces, but people from enterprise level stuff yeah. to all that. And the culture is really a one of radical generosity. Yeah. Everybody has something they can give and everyone needs something. Yeah. And so we do ask, you of What's your ask? What's your give? And it is just really this cool thing. You need an introduction. Does anybody know anybody in whatever of this procurement thing? Or one of the really, you get to meet some cool people doing cool business things like Winona Satcher in Atlanta, Maker's Studio, builds low-income affordable housing units out of shipping containers. And it's awesome. Just some really awesome stuff. And it's just this lovely community to meet. I love it.
0: It harkens back to some things that are going on in developing nations with micro grants that are given to women in business. But then it reminds me when you just said about the ask, give, sometimes I will say that women... Don't ask sometimes for what they exactly. need, and I guess that would it impact their business as well. So that's a great thing. And, and
1: sometimes for- in these groups, when we do a Zoom thing or whatever, and they're in a we're in a small group meeting people, and they put you on the spot. You need something. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't tell me no. You, you there's yeah. something you need. What is it you need? And yeah. so sometimes it's very personal, right? I need to yeah. figure out how I'm going to do the make this cross country move, and I need a somebody yeah. who's experienced with this. or yeah. But you know what do you need? And so that's really, it is, because it is hard to ask sometimes as women.
0: It's not an imposition to ask. It, it's standing in the way of success. I was going to ask you, the next question was, what lessons that you've learned over the years would you impart to other women business owners? Uh-huh. My gosh, everything you said today.
1: <laughs> well, all of that, but I think in particular, women business owners need to do some deep thinking about their relationship with money because that thing about not asking that's a piece of a thing that begins to affect business when we are talking about money women notoriously underprice their services and and how we do that there's a great book called women with money i think the name the name of the author is jean jean Chatzky. and and she writes about really think about what how what your relationship with money was when you were growing up and how is it now how's it changed how do you change your relationship with money and then because you know you can't exist in a business without some way of you can do bartering but even then you're valuing things and it's still a piece but yeah get a better relationship with money that's a good piece of that and then community right and that's one of the things that i really so love about the GoWP agency owners group is you need to find other people who are doing what you do and sometimes it's even just small things like we did that one session on giving gifts to clients uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Other people's solutions of how they did it differently is huge. It's not like, yeah, it's not huge, but it's in a grain scheme of things, but it is. It's like you get a glimpse of what your business could be or doing or differently, mm-hmm. or maybe not. And then
0: you can also. Share what you're doing. We have our own form of ask, give, I think. Too. We do. We do. <laughs> and you are a valuable, truly a valuable member of the community. You really are. As you look to the future, but what do you want for your company in a year's time and five years longer?
1: Yeah, I would really, so part of launching access cart is that it's really hard to keep You can't really keep two agency marketing plans and all that going. So we'll continue to get business referred to bed and business websites. That'll sit there. That'll be okay. But really our focus will be marketing, engaging, making relationships with agency owners in terms of those partnerships for excess of cart. And yeah, I would love to see us be able to come alongside agency owners and help their e-commerce clients, but also help people with disabilities shop better everywhere. That's
0: excellent. And bet is someone to watch in oh. years to come. You just fill me with optimism and I'm not a business owner. And I'm like, Oh wait, I'm not a business owner. So go WP. Our mission is to create happiness for our clients and our team members by delivering exceptional service. And we always like to close this podcast by asking yeah. our guests how they are creating happiness for themselves.
1: I am uh getting outside more as a digital worker and a remote from home worker it's just important to get outside and the japanese have a phrase nature bathing Mm. to be outside and just receive the goodness of nature i get to do that because there's some great hiking and outdoor opportunity, recreation opportunities here where I live, but even better than that, we're not having 30 triple day digit days in a row. We're having some temperatures in the eighties. And so most days now I spend my afternoons working from the deck and I have a beautiful deck in the back of the house with all these great juniper trees out there and just get a chance to be outside. And that's great I'm making happy there.
0: Yes, indeed. Every once in a while, And depending on where you live in Chicago, maybe not so much, but go barefoot. That's I've also, we
1: had the deck redone with treks recently. It gets hot. (laughs) It gets hot (laughs) as I'm wearing my sandals. Maybe not. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Going barefoot that too.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm sorry. I hope it's okay. I happen to know that you've had a, a marvelous summer with grandbabies
1: so not so much the summer but in the first few months of the year so when you work remotely you can do this we pulled up and we were gone for four and a half months yeah four and a half months we came back in mid-may so we left the first of january came back mid-may and we went first to southern illinois where our younger daughter had her second baby so we were able to play with the toddler and help them get up to speed and then about a a couple months later our Oldest daughter had her first baby in Columbus, Ohio. And so we spent, we just lived out of Airbnbs for that time. And we're there, got to do both of that. It's been a little harder because with COVID and babies can't be vaccinated. And yet that's coming, they could six months now, but that wasn't then. And it's it's hard to risk flying and exposing them. And so we've been mostly doing Zoom calls through the summer here, but sometime here in the fall, we'll get everybody vaccinated and maybe people will start to feel a little more calmer about flying and we'll get to go there. It's a three-day drive though. We drove out through a big snowstorm in January and drove back, but yeah. Yeah.
0: Another source of happiness seeing them, even if it is through a Zoom call. It's,
1: in fact, my oldest daughter, she used to do a little work for us. She had my Calendly link and last week I looked over, all of a sudden my grandson was booked on the calendar for an afternoon call. And I was like, yeah, I'll look for that. Yeah. I
0: love it. (laughs) Yeah. Congratulations on that too. And on everything that you're launching is just lots of positive news. Thank you, Bet, for joining us today. Oh, you're You've been a great guest. This is a fantastic we conversation. So thank you. And you can right. read more about Bet and her services at, go to our website at bhmbizsites.com. That's B-I-Z sites.com. That's a
1: cart.com. C-E-S-I cart. C-A-R-T.com. C-A-R-T.
0: I practiced spelling that out before the call. <laughs> I put too many Cs. I'll confess to you, there's
1: certain words you have trouble spelling. One of the words that I have trouble spelling is accessibility, which is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but access a it's the I B I L I T at the end. Uh. That's the problem. So access a cart, I don't have any problem spelling <laughs>
0: And we'll have links in the uh, show notes as well. So you don't have to worry about spelling. Thank you everyone for joining us. And don't forget to like and subscribe. And you can get this and other episodes of our podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And a quick reminder at GoWP, again, we want to create happiness. We want to make you profitable. So join us for a weekly happiness. Actually, it's every other week now. The happiness hour calls that Bet referenced that you'll get to talk to (laughs) Bet. She's great.
1: And other awesome folks.
0: <laughs> but nobody's as cool as you. No, um, <laughs> that's not we love everyone in the community and we have great webinars that you can find on YouTube and that you can attend live and be a part of our community. So go to gowp.com to read more about our services and you can even schedule a call.